Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Negroni, film editor for InBetweenDrafts.com. And from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he's a freelance film writer and all around 2024 kind of guy. It's Will Ashton. Hello, hello. Will Ashton, your microphone has been fixed. Hallelujah. Everybody's clapping. Um, All four of our producers are hyperventilating, actually. Um, welcome, Welcome back to the realm of sound quality. No, thank you. We'll see how long it lasts. Well, we have a lot of movies to talk about, and so it could break down at any moment. We probably shouldn't waste any time. Sure. If you recall, listeners, we did a kind of grab bag episode last time, um, and you know we released it a while back, and uh, th- we had a bit of a delay because of Will Ash. I'm putting the blame on Will Ash. It's not my fault this time. Like, not at all. It was literally mm. like, when can we do this thing? And Will was like, I don't know, maybe next Monday. I'm like, okay. Well, that was when I was free. I had to work a lot last week. You you were a hard worker. That's how we'll frame this. But, you know, we we, we were kind of going through the the movies we missed during hi- our unexpected hiatus due to multiple factors. You can listen to that episode for more context. But we are back because we have more movies to go through. We were kind of going through a lot of the awards movies that started their releases in November and expanded in December. Now we're going to start doing that for movies that were in December. Although we do have an exception. And if you're looking for, I'm going to name some of the movies we did talk about last time uh, so that you're aware that they're not going to come up now. So that includes, we talked about Priscilla, we talked about All Dirt Road's Taste of Salt, Fingernails, Nyad, Rustin, The Holdovers, Dream Scenario, Perfect Days, Next Goal Wins, May, December, Saltburn, Napoleon, Good Burger 2, and Maestro. So th- those are our movies uh, that we got to. And uh, one thing that we should well, we should probably stress, the Oscar noms came out. So that might also mm. paint a little bit of this discussion, too. We know what the noms are. I will say uh, I did finish Fingernails. I think I just started it when I uh, was recording that episode. Overall, I thought it was pretty good. I thought the ending was a bit lackluster. Uh, it kind of felt like a non-ending. But it, even though it has very film festival-y vibes, I thought it was very charming. And I hope one day that uh, Jesse Buckley will fix my car window. Very uh, nice. Uh, you need to see the movie to understand the context for that one. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I was like, I, are you referencing something from I'm thinking of ending things that I forgot, but apparently not. Um, yeah. Are, is a movie with uh, festival vibes, is that a bad thing? If a movie has festival vibes? No, be, not I necessarily. Guess. It just like, when you see it, you know it sort of thing. Like, it just kind of feels like a movie that... Oh, I'm supposed to watch this in Utah? Sort of, yeah. It just kind of feels like, oh, I'm in my third day of TIFF, like kind of vibes. And mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense because I saw Apple's, uh, the director's previous film at TIFF, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a solid little film. I I don't know. I, I can see why the response is a little muted, but I think it's a little bit better than people are giving credit for. So, uh, yeah, solid little movie. Uh, that's all I have to say about it. Nice. Well, uh, let's start our part two of uh because we had to finish off last time we didn't have enough time to cover everything and start off our part two with actually something that we missed last time because it technically started in october so i missed it i thought it was going to be coming up later on and that is anatomy of a fall it started playing in u.s theaters on my birthday october 13th uh in uh, new york and la it would eventually expand i ended up seeing anatomy of fall 
sometime in like early December because the buzz really was starting to explode uh, around Thanksgiving time. And it already had plenty of people looking at it. Anatomy of Falls uh, has Sandra uh, Hewler, who is, you know, obviously kind of a bit of a double threat this year with this movie and the zone of interest. And uh, this movie won uh, the Palme d'Or at Cannes Film Festival, can't forget. And the director here, Justine Tritt, uh, I haven't seen their other movies, but uh, Justine Tritt, French filmmaker, of course, uh, directed Age of Panic, Victoria and Sybil, uh, and some short films. I don't know, Will Ashton, if you have seen any of Justine Tritt's other work. Uh, no, this is the first one, I believe. So Anatomy of Fall, big movie. A lot of people are praising it. Kind of a simple movie. Uh, it's kind of a slow burn, but also a performance-driven movie. I'm of the chorus that I think it's genuinely very good. I think that the performances, Sandra Hewler is phenomenal in it. And there are just movies where you have an entire stretch of one character monologuing and it's brilliant. It's a movie that kind of plays around with auditory, you know, cues and sound design uh, in order to paint a scene. And yeah, it's at the same time, I've seen some people kind of say that they're not all about anatomy of a fall and consider it overhyped. You know, some people have kind of said, well, you know, it's a little bit too long. It is about two and a half hours or so. And, you know, it's too long for what it is. And it, it has uh, an ending that isn't uh, quite what they think the ending should be. Um, so yeah, I, but I, I disagree. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. Yeah. I really enjoyed this one. Um, yeah, I don't know if it'll make my top 10 for the year, but it'll probably get pretty close. Uh, if it doesn't, it was um, in mine. Yeah. I mean, I'm still working on my list. Uh, I don't know when we're recording our end of the year list, but, uh, yeah, I still got a couple more guys catch up on, uh, before I feel comfortable with my list. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think to echo a lot of what you were saying, uh, for me, uh, you know, a lot of times with a film like this one, ambiguity can sort of be a either like a crutch or something that that shermits the film. And to me, I think that really uh, plays the film's benefit. It's really smart about uh, giving you enough information to fuel the narrative, the suspense and the ambiguity. But at the same time, there are just enough plausible deniabilities or like things you could muster out of the uh, circumstances and the character motivation to really kind of paint a number of different ways. And I think the movie's really smart about recognizing that it's, even though it, it kind of pulls a fast one because like it starts with a like uh, fake web address or maybe it's a real web address. I never looked it up. Like, did she do it dot com? The movie really isn't all that interested in uh, whether or not she actually did it. It's kind of more about public perception and the way that we kind of paint these narratives on people, especially considering that the main two characters uh, are like these both. They're both like, I think, either best selling authors or artists of some kind. It's been a little bit since I've seen the film. Um, but yeah, I think it's really tremendous. Uh, some really solid. I mean, I was expected Sandra Huller, uh, gave a really great performance. I've been really enamored with her since I saw her a few years back in a film I love called Tony Erdman. Uh, and I, I think her performance here was really outstanding as well. Um, yeah, I don't want to give away too, too much. Cause I think, like we said, it's a, a film that kind of rewards not knowing a whole lot going into it. Obviously there is a fall as the title suggests, but uh, the circumstances around such said fall is uh, um, a little bit of uh, the crux of the story. But um, all I will say is uh, you may not ever hear Pimp by uh, 50 Cent again or P-I-M-P, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, however it's pronounced. Uh, and the other thing is I, I keep seeing people get this wrong, but the, the um, court system in the film, I think it's actually like Switzerland. 
but people keep saying it's France because it's a French film, but it's actually like a mutual court system because I think like it's like a because the husband's not French, like he's I think like German or I, I, or no, she's German. She's I German, and yeah, they lived in the UK together, mm-hmm. and now they live in France. Is know. my understanding. But I just know it's like I just keep seeing people being like the French court system's crazy, and it may very well be. I mean, if, if people haven't seen Saint Omer, there's some uh, that's also a really wonderful film and, and worth checking out as well. And that also has some pretty bizarre to the U.S. Uh, eye, at least, uh, uh, ways of going about the court system. But yeah, I just I think that's uh, I mean, unless I'm wrong, I mean, it could very well be. I'm wrong about a lot of things, but I'm pretty sure it's it's Switzerland <laughs> or, mm, or Swiss. I'd, or yeah, I'd have yeah. to rewatch the film. I don't recall it being Switzerland, but uh, it's hard to say because there were a lot of like translators and things going on. Like that's a big part of the movie, like things being lost in translation. But uh, we should move on. Uh, that that's Anatomy of a Fall, good movie, and uh, I guess it's a hearty recommend from us. Uh, this next one we have is a movie that I think you've seen that I haven't, and that's Godzilla minus one. Uh, this is a big favorite uh, from In Between Drafts. Uh, it was on our top. Uh, 37. I think it was uh, pretty high up there. Anatomy of the Fall, by the way, was like our number 12 movie. But Godzilla minus one, I'll bring that up actually here because why not? It was our number five. So very high up um, in our end of year rankings. A lot of people enjoyed this one. A new Godzilla movie. Uh, a lot of people consider it, you know, in the, the spirit of Shin Godzilla. I still haven't had a chance to see it because when it started playing in theaters, it just like played in theaters when I didn't have a chance to actually go to theaters and see it. And then I was out of the country and I desperately wanted to watch it, but uh, still haven't. Uh, this is from Takashi Yamazaki, who has directed a lot of movies um, that uh, a lot of Westerners probably haven't seen. Um, but, you know, things that might be a little recognizable, like drag- there's a Dragon Quest movie uh, they did and also Lupin the Third, things like that. Uh, it's kind of within like Japanese lore if you're a if you're a fellow weeb, right? So uh, this one was playing in Japan in November. It started playing in the U.S. in December. Big hit, big movie. Uh, Will you saw this one, right? Oh, you better believe I did. Yeah, um, and this one, uh, at least in the West uh, here, I feel like it kind of crept up on people. Like there wasn't a whole lot of anticipation for it. It no, was coming it out. Uh, it was coming out around the same time, uh, like the trailer for the new Godzilla v Kong movie dropped. And then there was like an Apple plus Godzilla show with Kurt Russell or something that was also like it was just a lot of Godzilla stuff uh, that was coming out around the same time. And this obviously, uh, for a number of reasons, just overshadowed that. Uh, and I think uh, really proved its worth uh, in a number of ways. Um, yeah. So this was like a. Uh, I think. It's kind of similar how Skyfall is like a a new Bond film, but also like a 50 year or maybe like, I forget if it's like 40. It's like an anniversary film and a new Bond film. This is also sure. paying tribute to uh, the 70th anniversary of uh, the original Godzilla. So it's the first one to actually take place uh, around uh, the end or yeah, like towards the end of the Second World War. Um it, it's a period piece and it follows um, uh, a kamikaze pilot who uh, is unable to commit to his job. Uh, and there is this giant scene where uh, Godzilla attacks a, a, a base. He's unable to uh, do what his job is and he has to kind of live with uh, the balance of like he's alive. He has to kind of put himself forward, but he's also uh, disrespecting his country and it kind of, without giving too much away, it, it becomes a sort of uh, 
uh, Jaws slash Hunt for the Red October kind of story where he becomes part of a boat crew uh, that has to kind of come up with this plan to take a very mean and uh, unforgiving version of Godzilla. Like the first kind of just like mean version of Godzilla we've gotten since probably original uh, and, and some really fun, well-directed uh, but also tense and, and violent sequences. And uh, it's rare for kaiju movies, uh, whether from the States or elsewhere, to make you as invested, if not more invested, in the human element, uh, as opposed to just the monster slashing, dashing. But this is a movie it does, it, and it really does it with a lot of heart, some really beautifully well-acted scenes uh, that, uh, yeah, I mean, it gets you more emotionally gripped than I think uh, someone might expect uh, from a new Godzilla film. And now I've seen some people say like, this is the best Godzilla movie ever. I don't know if it's quite there. It's obviously very good. Uh, it does kind of feel like a Godzilla movie for people who haven't watched Godzilla movies in a while. You know what I mean? But like at the same time, it, it, it definitely proves itself on its own merit. I'm not trying to uh, dismiss that. So uh, very easy to see why this movie has uh, gotten such claim to fair. And also, uh, it got a uh, Oscar nomination for Best Visual Effects, which is uh, 100% deserved. Uh, the visual effects in this movie are outstanding. And uh, while it's a little confusing what uh, the the cost is by U.S. dollar, because uh, I've kind of heard mixed reports, like it is well below, uh, the, the budget of the film is well below the uh, typical uh, American but, kind of blockbuster Yeah, production. like the big ones that have been coming yeah. out, sure. Yeah. Um, and it looks 10 times better than a lot of them, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really solid film. I really am excited for you to check it out. I know that um, I think the original theatrical run is done, but they are bringing it back in like a black and white version. Uh, I believe it's called Godzilla minus one minus color. Uh, I don't know if that's a better or worse way to see it, but it is a way you can see in theaters if you wish to see it. So. Well, you know, there are still some theaters in the Bay Area that are playing it. It's just, you know, not as many showtimes and I got to get my butt to the theater, but I'm going to do it because, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those movies where I'm like, I can't see this at home. Like, no way. But yeah, that's uh, Godzilla minus one and uh, glad you were able to check it out, Will. And uh, I hope to see it myself. I can't wait to see it personally. Well, I do have to ask because there was a big neon film. I shouldn't say big. Uh, mm. The Eileen movie, I was just, yeah. or just Eileen, the new William Oldroyd film starring Thomason McKenzie. Did you see this one? I did, yeah. Kind of okay. on a whim. Um, nice, yeah, nice. It, I'll set it up for you. I'll give you a little break. Uh, <laughs> um, so this is the director of Lady Macbeth, movie that we both really liked. And uh, that was really like the big debut of Florence Pugh. Big, there's a funny story behind that too. I learned about how she got the part in Lady Macbeth really coming up from almost, you know, not as much acting experience as you would expect. And yeah, this movie, I, I haven't seen it. So will, you're going to have to do the heavy lifting for us here uh, yet again, but it, it's on my radar. I heard it's okay. Um, I don't know much about it, except I know it's Thomas and McKenzie. I know Anne Hathaway is in this Shea Wiggum and, uh, a few other people like Owen Teague. I, I don't know to what extent, but yeah, it, it to me it looks like kind of like a an indie crime thriller. Kind of got some psychological stuff going on, and I I heard that this like I remember people working forward to this from Sundance because like oh the Lady Macbeth director, but then uh, you know the the reviews coming out of Sundance. I remember being like pretty muted, and so yeah, people were a little bit mixed on this one. But uh, were you mixed? Is it good? Uh, I thought it was a good movie. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. Uh... Because I remember the Sundance reactions were, like you said, uh, a little bit more tempered or muted. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I just went in knowing that it was a new film from uh, 
the director of Lady Macbeth, his sophomore feature. And uh, while it's not as good as that first film, uh, I thought it was a really solid uh, second film. Uh, it, it is, as you're kind of uh, suggesting, it's more of like a character piece with like noirish kind of elements than like anything super specific in terms of genre. Like uh, Anne Hathaway is in the film and she plays like a blonde sort of like femme fatale-ish kind of character, but really oh, it's like just... in Serenity, one of her best performances. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'll call back to that. Yeah. Um, I don't even remember but... if she was blonde in that movie. I might just be. <laughs> no, anyway. I think she was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do know that I think one of the reasons why one of the reasons why this movie kind of got uh, an understated reaction is that it is sort of Thompson McKenzie. She's been playing a certain type of role, like a kind of like wounded bird kind of role for uh, the last few years. And I think people yeah, are- ever since Leave No Trace and Jojo Rabbit, sure. she kind of goes to Last Night in Soho. And it's a little bit like you're better than these roles. Like, don't get typecast now. Uh, yeah, I mean, and uh, there's certainly shades of that here, but I think there's also more than, than I think some of the reviews gave it credit. It is, uh, a darker role than I think she's played before. Certainly, uh, something that's a little bit more, uh, perverse and, and a little bit more, uh, uh, sub, uh, subdued, I guess, and maybe a little bit more, uh, unreadable in some respects, but yeah, it looks great. Like it's not, it's not shot on film, but. I think they did like a digital to film conversion to it to give it an old classic kind of film presentation, sort of similar to like living uh, with Bill Nighy uh, the year prior. Uh, yeah. So it looks really strong. Like it looks visually very enticing. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it doesn't, there's, there's a scene. Um, I want to say uh, three fourths of the way through with Marine Ireland that is just like this true emotional dramatic centerpiece of the film. And like, it's an outstanding, incredible scene. I, I, I don't want to give anything about that away. Um, but like when that happens, I don't know if the movie ever quite reaches those heights again. Like it's kind of like this build up to that tense moment. And then it's it, not that it fizzles at the end, but just kind of never really gets that pop. So I think that's maybe another reason why the response was a little uh, more ho-hum, but I still think this is a solid uh, exceptional film with some really, Strong performances, also Shea Williams in this film, and he's just great. Uh, Playing a very Shane William kind of character, but, uh, you know, nailing it all the same. Yeah, I mean, it's not a film that, like, it doesn't shake the envelope too much. I mean, what you see is what you kind of get with it, uh, but it's still good on its own merits. Like, I think it's well worth watching. Uh, I, I'm glad I checked it out. I thought it looked great on the big screen. So, uh, you know, not like a top priority if you're catching up on things for 2023, but certainly worth a watch, especially if you like the people involved with the film. All right, so this next one, uh, okay, so this is a big one. This is a big animated film and snubbed at the Oscars a little bit. Some people were wondering, should this get Best Picture? And that was The Boy and the Heron. Uh, so this is the newest film from Hayao Miyazaki. That's right, he did not retire. And uh, this is his 12th movie. Uh, his last one was a decade ago. Uh, the Wind Rises was 2013. And it opened in Japan earlier this year. Uh, it had a festival run, showed up at TIFF. And so it, it's gone through a couple different iterations. It, it's also been referred to as, uh, titled as uh, How Do You Live? This has more of like kind of a playful. I think they kind of mess with the title a little bit to make it more playful. Sure. And like, 
you know, do you live? Oh, this is Miyazaki, uh, you know, the person who brought you spirited away, you know. Mm-hmm. How do you live is also what I say to John whenever he tells me he has a One Piece podcast. <laughs> yeah, and I just I answer, of course, being like, quite well, uh, quite happy all the time, in fact. Uh, so this is this is a, I, I, you can't even say it's like a return, it's a return of form for Miyazaki in some ways. It's, you know, Whoa. him going back to his poetic storytelling roots, being a little bit more ambiguous than some of his more trickly movies that came on a little bit later. Uh, but it's definitely a more mature Miyazaki. Uh, it looks like you already want to pounce. Well, I mean, yeah, it's his first one since The Wind Rises, which I guess was a slight departure. It wasn't as whimsical, I guess. It's like, you know, something like Spirit Away or uh, My Neighbor Totoro or something. But sure, that yeah, was a bit I, of an anomaly. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I guess like certainly way more uh, mature than something like Ponyo, which I think came exactly, out. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and people have been kind of warning, you know, newcomers to Miyazaki to be like, this isn't the best Miyazaki movie to start with. And I think their point is that if you really want to get a sense of his, like the magical qualities of his movies, that this movie is almost in some ways commenting on and trying to subvert, you, you might find yourself a little bit lost. Uh, and I can understand that. I, I got to be honest. I mean, this movie basically is about a boy who loses his mother in, during World War II. You know, we're, we're kind of back in the, you know, Godzilla minus one frame of mind, I guess. But this is before World War II ends. And he has to move, you know, in with a new stepmother. And there's this weird heron with teeth. He's following him around. He's kind of this stoic, you know, pretend soldier boy. And he goes on the typical Miyazaki quest to do what he's got to do. Uh, he's got to, you know, go out there and, you know, maybe a certain person is going to, you know, be uh, change his life forever. All, all the typical Miyazaki things. I, I got to be honest, Will. I, you know, look, I, I'm not somebody who who faints at the sight of a Miyazaki movie. I, I'm definitely the, the big fan of quite a few of them. I, I didn't love this one. I, I was quite disappointed. And and I, my expectations weren't even that high just because I was a little bit like, you know, I, I this movie looks interesting, but I, you know, I wanted to temper myself going in. I didn't want to have too high hopes or anything, but I got to say, it, I just found it to be a little bit flat for me. Uh, just a great movie to look at. The animation is undeniable. And on that level, I appreciated it thoroughly, but plot wise, I kind of, I, to me, it felt like a little bit of a slog, a little bit of like been there, done that. Um, but, you know, other people have said that this movie wiped them out and they love it wholeheartedly. So that that can be the case for plenty of other people who may be curious about this one. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to come on to this podcast and be the anime lover. But, uh, yeah, I think this is uh, uh, quite easily the best anime film of the year that I've seen. Um, yeah, oh, I, that's, thought- I can't even imagine. Say, I mean, I think it's on the same level as maybe Elemental in terms of Oof. a shrug from me and a, a no, an enthusiastic it, shrug but uh, spider-man across the spider-verse that's one of the best animated movies not just this year but in many years so yeah i mean disagreements uh, across spider-verse will probably be in my honorable mentions but that is a film unfortunately for me that has kind of uh decreased uh since i've seen it i, I feel like it's I, i've had kind of uh more weighted thoughts on it but i don't want to uh, uh go and relegate some other conversations yeah that was uh, that was summertime talk <laughs> this um, is, let's talk about the future. Yeah, and this is a. I don't, there's so much to unpack with this film. This is of all the films uh, for you to be like tighten up. Well, this is one that's like kind of <laughs> hard to like wrap my thoughts easily. But uh, it, to say it as short as possible, I guess like there are two ways for me looking at this film. And the first is like you, you're suggesting there is sort of the simplistic uh, going back to the well, sort of Miyazaki exploring youth and tragedy. Uh, you know, the, the, a loss of innocence, but also, uh, a gaining of sort of that, that, that inner charm of a childhood that, that, 
should never really flee someone. Um, like all that's there, and and I, I guess you can kind of take or leave how you feel about that. I, I really liked it, and I really responded to it, even if I didn't love it as much as something like uh, um, Spirit Away or My Neighbor Totoro. But um, for me, the the more fascinating and the thing that that really stands out to me is the the second half of the film, which really shows Miyazaki weighing with his legacy and and exploring uh who he sees himself as an artist and uh the ways that he wants to uh leave a sort of influence or the regret that he's had for uh his children and grandchildren and and whomever and his audience and whomever else uh may categorize and yeah it's a film i've really been thinking about a lot and and even if i don't think it's perfect like it kind of falls into some similar troubles as something like uh howl's moving castle where i feel like visually uh it's outstanding but sometimes there'll be a few narrative things that don't always quite click uh i think for me the the strengths of film far away whatever uh weaknesses the films have and i i can't imagine uh how you think this film was flat that that that, that is uh yeah something i cannot agree with flat at all. emotionally for me yeah not the mm. 2d but <laughs> uh, yeah, i'll it, give you this look at yeah and i don't want to you know i don't want to end on a, a negative note for me since uh, it's a movie that clearly moved you so i'm going to say I love the grannies. The grannies were great. I wanted more of them. The power to the grannies. Um, they were wonderful little ladies. Uh, I watched this in the dubbed in Japanese, which I think was added to the experience for me for sure, mm. uh, especially because I know the language a lot. Um, but uh, did you watch this with the English subs? Because I know that they got a great cast for this. They have Christian Bale, Dave uh, Bautista, Jim Chan, Florence Pugh, she, and Robin mm-hmm. Pat- Robert Pattinson himself, Mark Hamill. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I saw the subtitle version, so I can't speak to the dub, but it sounds like... Uh, Rob Pattinson really went for it for the dub, so he I'm curious to hear his performance at some point. Yeah, maybe I'll watch the dub to give when I give this movie another shake, since you know I, I tend to watch Miyazaki's movies twice, uh, just because usually I get so distracted by the animation and it can be hard for me to like fully click with everything, and I feel like I got to watch it more than once at the very least. Uh, but okay, so our next one here, I don't know if this is a movie either of us has watched. I mean, I definitely haven't seen it, um, but Origin, the new Ava DuVernay film. This one technically started playing in theaters in December, and it really, uh, it's a neon movie. Uh, it kind of just not really getting much buzz in December. Uh, award season kind of took over, and not a lot of people were watching and reviewing it, at least within my circles. And then January rolled around, it started expanding. People were like, why are we talking about this movie? This movie's great. Um, so it, it opened nationwide just a few days ago and uh, could also be worth, uh, since I don't know if you've seen it, it could be worth us doing uh, a, a formal review of it. So I don't know. What, what do you think? Have you seen it? Uh, yes, I have. I saw it at one of the um, like mystery or, you know, mystery AMC screen unseen, whatever they call it. Sort of That's things. right. Yeah. I remember you brought that uh, up. Do you, do you want to save this for a full on no, episode or not okay. at all? I, okay. I, if anything, I would, this is one unlike the boy and the heron. I'm, I'd be glad to <laughs> to talk shortly about this one. Sure, um, sure. Because it's just a disappointment. Like it's, I, I if if people are really moved by it, I have heard some responses. And I'm not trying to take anyone anything away from that, but man, like this movie, good intentions do not make a good film. <laughs> sometimes is this wrinkle you know? in time all over again? Oh no, uh, it's not quite wrinkle in time. It is ambitious, uh, but it feels like a book report in film form. Uh, oh, so it's another when they see us. Uh, I'm I didn't joking. see. I, didn't I, I see liked what, when they see us. That was. I didn't see when good. they see us, and I'm a big uh, fan of Ava DuVernay. Um, you know, and and I, I I do think at the very least, you know, Selma remains uh, uh, a pivotal and, and outstanding film. But yeah, uh, great, great. Um, but yeah, this one. The worst thing I could say about it 
uh, is that it kind of feels like a liberal version of like uh, something, you know, like God's not dead. Like it, it's kind of it has like its talking points and it's trying it, it spends more time saying what it wants to say as opposed to showing it. And I, I just don't think it has uh, it's preachy. really. Yeah, it's preachy. It's clunky. Well, that's it, wrinkle of time. A, I, I thought sure. we said, <laughs> I mean, you're describing the movie. That <laughs> yeah, but I feel like, I don't know, at least wrinkle in time. I think it just, it, it kind of got lost in the way of its ambitions. Like, I just yeah, don't know. It was hard to be mad at a wrinkle in time, you know, sure. was trying to be cute. And we were this like, this movie, oh. even though it is also ambitious, like, I just don't, I don't foresee how a version of this would have worked. It, I think it only gets messier the more it tries to do it. But it, like I said, the intentions are good. But yeah, just, you know, unfortunately, it just didn't work out. And if, you know, if someone, really did have such a deep emotional response to it. I'm not trying to take that away from anybody, but yeah, I, I, I left feeling pretty sorely disappointed by this. Shame to hear that. Yeah. Cause I was looking forward to catching up on this. A few people were telling me like, Oh, this movie's really great. Why did it not get, you know, any play? And so I guess, uh, well, not everybody really liked it. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, uh, that's origin. And then next up we have, this is a big one. And this one, we, we probably, we probably can talk. We probably have to do a full episode about it. And that's poor things. Um, I don't think you've seen poor things yet. Uh, I think you were, yeah, you have the book that you just put up on, you know, <laughs> right yeah, there. I haven't, I haven't seen this one yet. Yeah. So, uh, we, we got to save this one. Cause I think, you know, like this movie is, uh, pretty much my favorite movie of the year. Uh, and, and by pretty much, I mean, it is, I, it, it just is. And like, I have I had such weird feelings about this movie. It makes me feel weird. And I think we're going to have a lot to say about this one in the coming weeks. I mean, we had uh, top movies, uh, of the year episode, when we do Oscars, if we pick the winners, poor thing's going to be a big part of that conversation. So we might as well hold off. I know everyone's like, come on, guys, get to poor things already. I mean, this thing, you know, it started playing in select theaters December sure. 8th. It's been and it's been rolling out. Yeah, it's my fault. I just haven't seen it. I'm going to my goal is to see it this weekend, along with uh, the zone of interest, which I also haven't seen. But that one is only because it's coming out uh, where I live this weekend. So sure. Uh, Zone yeah. of interest. I'm not as concerned about us covering oh. just because mm. I, I mean, look, great movie. One of my faves of the year, but that is not a movie that it's like we, we need, we need 20, 30 minutes because it is one of those like same thing over and over again kind of things. And mm. well, hold on, we got other stuff to get to before the zone of interest. What am I doing? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Jonathan Glazer is always worth discussion in my view, but yeah, I just have not seen this film. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, in the meantime, let's get into, uh, okay, I've been excited to talk about this one. Wonka. I loved Wonka so much. Look, it wasn't, uh, you know, look, it, it wasn't high up on like my favorite movies of the year or anything. I'm not going to do that. It was my number like 13 or something like that. Uh, actually, maybe number 12. But man, oh man, Will Ashton. I loved Wonka. And I, I got to be honest, so it's young Wonka. Timothy Chalamet plays young Wonka. It's a musical. I had no idea. I'm watching the screener for this thing before really like the big wave of review starts coming out. So I, I haven't been, I haven't had my ears to the ground when this thing came out. I, I didn't watch the trailer. I didn't, you know, I think actually, no, I had the trailer kind of playing like right before a movie was about to start, but I wasn't really paying attention to it. I saw the part where, you know, Timothy Chalamet is just like, want to get nuts. And I'm like, what? Michael Keaton, what? whatever. And, but I knew, I knew that there was a chance that this movie could bring me over to its side, that it's, it's sweet. Nothings could, you know, woo me and fill my stomach. 
And that was because this is Paul King. Paul King, the director of Paddington and Paddington 2, he's done it multiple times. You know, the first Paddington, I saw that trailer and I was just like, get out of here. I don't want it. What a pad- This looks stupid. And then Paddington won my heart and I repented. I'm still repenting to this day. Paddington 2, I remember we covered it on Cinemaholics. We were a little bit like, we don't know. You know, can lightning strike twice? Probably not. Ends up becoming one of the defining movies of the decade, one of the best sequels to a movie in the, the modern cinematic era. Who, who could have seen that coming? And then Paul King's like, I'll do you Wonka. What do you think? And, and we're all sort of like, sure, whatever, Paul. You think you can do it a third time? He does it a third time. And he does it with a musical. And it's wonderful. I actually like the songs in a musical. Who knew that was possible? And I even like the plucky, annoying kid played by Kayla Lane. She's fantastic. Kala Lane, I think. She's fantastic. She was she Her acting was good. And I was like, but this is the character in the movie that I don't like like i'm supposed to come out of this movie being like this character annoyed me no thanks keegan michael key is in the movie i'm not complaining about him i found him funny this movie just takes all the things that should be bet rowan atkinson cameo please that's going to be abused no it's a hilarious cameo everyone loves it um need i say more did you see this movie did you see wonka yeah i saw it with um Friend of the show, Matt Serafini, when he was in town around That is Christmas. a Matt kind of movie. I'm glad. I'm uh, glad you chose him as a, you know. Yeah, we uh, we got a bag of Kit Kats uh, from concessions and passed it between us every time uh, some chocolate came on the screen. No, that's friendship. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously. You're, really the, you're the big Wonka fan. You're, yeah. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I know you said it on the show. One of your really favorite. Wonka. Your favorite movie of all time. So this yeah. is this is the big thing. Yeah, Willy Wonka and Chocolate Factory is my favorite film. Uh, and I mean, I, I enjoy Charlie and Chocolate Factory to some extent as well, I, even though I, I think it's a, a flawed film. Um, this one, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I thought it was pretty good. I, I, I don't know if I had such a strong reaction to it. Um, but, you know, I, I think especially as the movie started, there's a part of me, even though the movie does, uh, you know, really ram in the references to uh, the original film uh, a lot and a lot of Easter eggs and a lot of callbacks and whatnot. Uh, I think it's best to view this film as more of a like prequel to the book, Willy Wonka than like a, uh, yeah, which is know, my introduction to the story. Yeah. Which, you know, it's not, I mean, it's not like entirely faithful to the book, but it's closer in that vein than to like the, uh, the Gene Wilder or the, um, Johnny Depp version. It's a lot more whimsical. It's a lot, uh, you know, sort more sort of buoyant than I think the uh, either of the film adaptations were. Um, and I was a little hesitant at first because I, I I wasn't really fully jiving with Timothy Chalamet's performance, but I, I think it won me over eventually. I still think he's maybe slightly miscast, but I, it was fun to see him not playing like a, a moody, brooding yes. kid for once. Like you, <laughs> you know, see him smile. Right. To see him uh, smile and sing and dance and all and that. And not be addicted to drugs. And, right. You know, I, I personally appreciated that he wasn't a good singer. I actually think it helped the movie, which, look, it's ultimate cope from John, sure. But the fact that, you know, like, because he doesn't have the Gene Wilder edge. And I'm glad that he's not trying to. He just sort of being like, I'm a little rough around the edges instead. And it, it, I don't know, it's just it's playing with the character in a way that isn't obsessed with the movie, but still understands and knows the movie exists. Uh, I know some people have been like, you know, saying that this movie certainly like it's okay, it's fine. You're kind of saying that. 
But it did. It brought some joy to my heart, Will, because I just I like the movie musical. And I think what this does with movie musicals that we don't usually get is like it just feels it's not chasing like Lin-Manuel Miranda, first of all. And it's not doing a lot of the tropey stuff. It, it's just kind of like a classic old fashioned sort of musical. I loved it. So that's all I'll say. We, we've already gone way yeah. over. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy the musical numbers. I like the film overall. I, I you know, left the smile on the old face. Uh, yeah, I, I wish I had a similar sort of uh, enthusiastic response. But yeah, I thought it was solid, worth watching. Sure. You have other stuff you could. Yeah. And a hey, big hit for, for Warner Brothers. You know, they already had the biggest movie of the year. This one's also yeah. in the top 10 domestically. Uh, yeah, number eight, so. Uh, it outgrows uh, the Ares tour. It outgrows John Wick Chapter 4 and Sound of Freedom. So there you go. Um, okay, so that's Wonka. And we already said that we wouldn't talk poor things. But that's okay because we also have American fiction. And this is one I, I have more mixed feelings about. This is one that, like, I don't want to be mean to this movie. I didn't actively dislike it. But it left me so wanting American fiction. It's, so this is the the movie from Cord Jefferson, who worked on Watchmen. And I think he's a really talented guy. And, and there's so much about this movie that I see him. I see Jeffrey Wright, the star of this. And, and they have all the pieces there for this movie to just really hit, you know, for that that kind of movie you want December, January. And, you know. I'm not going to I'm not going to say that, you know, it's unfounded for this movie to be a, to have gotten the intention it has, but this movie just speaking as somebody who's been in the publishing industry who who writes books, th- this ranks so false to me in so many annoying ways. Like it's a movie that like not not to say that it should have been a short film, but it's it's almost like it's honestly like two movies competing for space. And neither of them are really all that compelling to me. The family drama stuff, I'm like, this is kind of interesting, but I've seen seven other movies in the last couple of years that are just going down this path. And then you have this other thing where it's sort of going down this road of like appropriation and like publishing industry. And I'm like, this could be really good, but it's just so glamorized. It's so just like obtuse about what it's doing what are you doing like moving tracy ellis ross you know probably your best character and just shifting her completely to the sideline out of nowhere early on i don't know it's a movie that i really struggle with because i do think that sterling k brown and jeffrey wright are pretty terrific in it and i i I can't say anything to it i don't even hate the ending i think some people look at the movie and they're like the ending's the worst part and i'm like at least the ending is trying something and it's kind of like leaning into its weirdness and that's fine for me so yeah, it's a mixed feelings kind of movie. I, I can see why people like it, but I, I just think ultimately I walk away from it with more issues than not. It's interesting because I, I remember when I saw the film and because we saw it uh, like the same time uh, indirectly. I think you had a screener and I, I did like the mystery yeah. screen unseen thing. Uh, I remember you being a lot more positive on the film than I was uh, at the time. Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I remember being positive. I mean, I remember being a little bit like, oh, you know, but I, I don't remember being like, wow. I don't know. I did, maybe uh, maybe I just uh, misremembered, but yeah. I mean, I I had a similar response. Like, I think it's a solid film. Like, it's probably. Of, I mean, I still need to see two of the nominees, but of the best picture nominees, it's probably the weakest for me. Uh, which is to say, you know, I think overall it's a pretty strong year for best picture because even like you know the weakest film, I think is still pretty good. Like, it's solid. Uh, I think a lot of it is carried by Jeffrey Wright, who I think is outstanding in this movie. And and it's like the perfect role for him. And between this and Asteroid City, I think he had a really strong 2023. Um, yeah, I guess for me, the issue, and I know it's based on a book, which I haven't read, but it's called Eraser, 
uh, and it came out Erasure. Sorry, yeah. Uh, and the movie's very different from it. Oh, is it? From what I understand, um, yeah. Okay, but I know that book came out in two thousand two, and it feels like the humor and the satire of this. It feels like it's from the two thousands a little bit more than now. Not that to say like it's outdated as far as like the comedy of it. It just feels weirdly very tame. It doesn't really feel relevant to the now. Like as far as uh, I mean, obviously the publishing industry is a lot different uh, these days, and, and it maybe has different emphasis than it would have at the time. But it just never feels like it has quite the bite that it's looking for. Like there's there's a scene early on in a classroom where it like. That's like maybe the closest they really get to like having a bit of an edge and being confrontational in a way that that feels more honest or a little bit more uh, uh, edgy than I think the rest of the film go. Because everything about the film, uh, as far as like the narrative of it, kind of plays out as you expect. It, it, there's not a lot about this that's, that feels like super punchy or, or really like uh, telling. But I, I think it is, you know, it's well written. Like it's funny at times, or at least it's amusing throughout. Um, but like, I think the the big example for me, and this is a, a small spoiler, a, a mild spoiler, uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm gonna have to use a little bit of language, so you might have to bleep this out. But uh, there's uh, a bit where he's like, or Jeffrey Wright's character Monk is uh, getting ready to like try to cancel the book, and the publishers are really eager to it. And the way he tries to go about it is changing the title. And there's a scene early on where, uh, as I'm referencing, like. Uh, Monk is is talking about like the necessity, but obviously the the confrontation of of using uh, the n word in a title. And you think like that seems like oh he's going to change the title of the book to like the n word, and it's like that's going to be really bold and like all this stuff. But then he's like, no, I'm going to change it to fuck, which is like okay, maybe in like 2008 that would have been edgy, but like now we literally have go the fuck to sleep as like a best selling novel. <laughs> the so subtle it's like, art of not giving a yeah right. Yeah. It's what, so it's like that's not really like. A, a turnoff for a publisher at this point. And, and and there's nothing about the film that suggests like it's a period piece or anything. Like it's supposed to be taking place in the now, but like, there's no like, like for instance, there's not like a Reddit thread for, from what we can tell where like someone's trying to figure out the identity of the author or like, like huge. So like social media doesn't even seem to be a thing in the movie. Like it's just odd that like nothing about it feels yeah. contemporary in that way. Uh, and I think yeah. that's what hurts the satire a lot. And I think the family stuff is fine. Uh, I think it maybe is, is even a little bit more interesting than the satire stuff. But uh, yeah, I just I, I feel like, yeah, like you said, it does kind of feel like two different movies. I feel like it never really settles comfortably into one sort of thing. But I do think Jeffrey Wright really makes it uh, his own. I think because of his performance, uh, it really does work more than it doesn't. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I feel I find myself pretty frustrated by it at the same time. I, I found I found what I said about it. I only said one thing. No, I said two things. I said, I had a nice time with it. And that's true. Like, I had a nice time. I, I did not watch this movie and be like, ah. But it, again, I kind of came out of it being like, I, I was frustrated because like I wanted to like it more. But there were just these like perky issues. And I did also say I liked the dumb endings, which I did. So, like you know, I, I stand by these messages, Will Ashton. I'm sorry for giving you a, a different impression that I was the American fiction defender. And you were like, oh, I'm going to have a fight. Um. I don't know. I guess not. just because not at the time. time, like when I saw the film, like it was nearly all glowing reviews, and I liked the film. Like I, I'd probably give it like a three out of five. Like I think it's a solid film, but like I was just kind of confused. It's like, like the the overwhelming praise it was getting almost kind of felt like I hear you uh, on that. That was confusing me as well. It, it almost felt like it's kind of playing into like the film's hand a bit, where it's like yeah, the over. Well, I was kind of like, oh, like, it's kind of yeah. like with the. The Issa Rae book. I was like, it's kind right, of yeah, getting that same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oof. Well, anyway, let's talk about the zone of interest. I'm interested. Uh, this is one where I actually read some of the book, and I definitely I could say this is so different from the book. Like it's kind of unbelievable. It's like calling it adapted screenplay is very very loose. But okay, zone of interest. This is the new Jonathan Glazer movie. I know you've been excited to talk about him. Uh, Jonathan Glazer has directed Sexy Beast, Birth, uh, Under the Skin, a movie that I famously did not like that everybody was like, you don't like Under the Skin? John, grow up. And I was like, no, thank uh, you. I will stay a baby. One of the, like, uh, one of the, maybe one of the five best films of the 2010s? Under the Skin? Nonsense to me, but you do you. Mm. Uh, this one All premiered, right. Zone of Interest, uh, at the, the Cannes Film Festival. It won the uh, second place prize, the Grand Prix. Uh, A24 released this one on December 15th. They actually did theatrical rollout and video on demand simultaneously. So they made it pretty easy for folks to get to access to this one if they didn't live close to an indie theater. And uh, at the same time, I wish I had seen this in an indie theater uh, because this is very much that kind of movie where I think the maximum effect is is being trapped in the movie theater with everybody else and sensing the uncomfortable atmosphere of the theater because this is the movie where it's we spend two hours with a family, you know, living in Auschwitz and they're the people who run Auschwitz and like the horrors of the Holocaust are just kind of like basically within earshot, but not depicted. And it's like this family life and the depiction of just genuine barbarity and, and how it's like easily accessible and it can easily happen to human beings because we're corruptible monsters, you know, really. Uh, this is a movie that's very unsettling. It's brought a lot of people to a dark place and in a way that they probably appreciate. And this is that movie we referenced earlier with Sandra Huller. She plays the wife of the the Auschwitz uh, camp person, uh, president, director, whatever his title was. And I, yeah, I forget. But um, yeah, you don't have to read the book to kind of get a sense for it. They're very different, um, but they both have, you know, they both take place in Auschwitz, but this is a more kind of serious take on it. And, and it's kind of playing around with uh, really what a movie can do to depict something that has been depicted plenty of times before, but in a new way. Uh, I think the big criticism for this one, people's like, you kind of get it after 30 minutes and it doesn't need to keep going. So some people have said that this would have made a great short film, um, a movie that would have you know landed its message just right. I don't totally agree. I think that there is something to say about how it keeps going because that's kind of the point, that discomfort is sort of the point, but that's not going to be everybody's liking. So, but at the same time, I, I think the movie's terrific. Uh, some of the stuff that Glazer's able to do here with just his cinematic style and, and being able to depict like a wonder across a garden and just have you completely dread everything you're seeing, but most of it is subjectively beautiful. I mean, it's just, it's stuff that, you know, a director can only play with if he really understands how human beings think. And that's kind of what you're in for. So, yeah, bit of interest. I'm in. Yeah, I mean, it's weird to say can't wait for uh, a Holocaust film, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm really hyped to see this film. I hope you see it soon. Uh, and again, I, if you can see it in a theater, that would make me happier than than Huckleberry Pie. Um, that's not a reference to anything. I just wanted to say the words Huckleberry Pie. Uh, anyone but you. I don't think either of us saw this one. The Sydney Sweeney, uh, what's the name? Glenn Powell, you yep. know, romantic comedy that made a, way more money than anyone expected. Who would have thought people like seeing sexy people flirting on the big screen? A romantic comedy in December, too. I'm, I'm kind of like, oh, you, we don't do that very often. And, you know, unless it's on a streaming service. But 
you know, I think Sydney Sweeney is a Gen Z darling. Glenn Powell is mm. obviously handsome. So well, you got a recipe there, but who knows? I, I heard the movie's not great, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, it matters in this case. I, I am uh, heartened that like this and Ticket to Paradise from last year or two years ago uh, is did well at the box office and like kind mm. of had legs because it does. I mean, you know, it's still probably the case that like uh, streaming services took the romantic comedy and kind of made it like a you, you watch these at home. You don't need to go to the theater sort of thing like date night can be Netflix and chill now. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's heartening to know that these movies can still be in theaters. Yeah. And, uh, if a mediocre film, I mean, I haven't seen it, but if it is mediocre can make like a hundred million dollars, that means the movies are back. Uh, this next one here, Aquaman and the lost kingdom, a sequel to Aquaman, which made a billion dollars for mm. the uh, high, I think the highest grossing DC extended universe movie, I think more than Joker okay. and, Hmm. Oh, I, I I was gonna say I thought Joker made more, but you were probably right. I think it made slightly more. I could I could be wrong, but uh, at least within the uh, well, if it's the DCEU, that would not count Joker because that's not within that. So uh, it could be that Joker made slightly more there. Uh, James Wan is directing this again, and and he's coming back. And uh, Jason Momoa, he's Aquaman, and it's just another Aquaman adventure. Amber Heard is in this. Um, which is its own thing. And Nicole Kidman. Um, okay. I'm just going to say it. I, I watched this. I watched the first 20 minutes of this. Uh, I was in Taiwan and I was kind of wandering around. I was just getting over COVID. I was testing positive. I was past my quarantine and I was kind of bored because I'd been doing nothing but really walking around Taiwan on my own, taking photos. And it was early in the morning and there happened to be an Aquaman, the lost and lost kingdom screening, uh, at, early screening and i was kind of like i could just watch this right now and see aquaman then you know get cross that off my list because this was in january and i was like i had heard this movie was kind of insane and weird and i was like okay i guess i got i gave it 20 minutes and i i had the entire theater to myself nobody else was in there and this movie and also i did want to experience a taiwan theater for the first time it was kind of cool it wasn't uh you know remarkable it was a theater uh but yeah no this movie was just terrible. It, it, I I just was sitting there. I think part of it is that it looks like nobody wants to be there. Jason Momoa barely looks like he wants to be there, and it it just looks like they really like it. It's like we know that the DC universe is done. Shazam kind of bombed. It just bombed and kind of bomb. We know that James Gunn's about to do a whole bunch of new stuff, and I'm watching this, and I just I feel like I'm watching like an after image of like a movie that I also did. I didn't like the first Aquaman. So I, I wasn't really looking forward to this one. I just think this thing feels so inert. I, I was just sitting there and I'm like, this is like mind numbing. Like I got to get out of here because I just do not care about a single thing that's happening. You can throw Randall Park at me and have him do silly things. And usually that's enough. But in this case, I was like, I'm wasting my time. Like, I don't need to see this. Like there's no, there's no urgency to this. I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm confused by the construction of it all. It looks awful. I left and I don't usually leave movies. I usually give them their fair shake. But in this case, I was like, this, 
this to me isn't even a movie at this point. It's an obligation. It feels like something people just kind of packaged up and put out there because they felt like they had to. And that reeks. You smell it on this movie. It's no wonder. Like They barely marketed it. They knew it was dead on arrival because even if they spent all the money in the world trying to market this thing, people wouldn't care. They w- it, it doesn't matter. The last one made a billion dollars in 2018. That was five years ago. At this point, it's like, no, thank you. Like We've been down this road get out of here. It's over. And so I laughed. And and Will, you can judge me all you want. I know this was one of your favorites of 2023. Uh, yeah, I mean, I never got around to seeing this one. Um, no, I mean, you know, I was curious. Yeah, certainly more so than the Marvels or Blue Beetle. But uh, yeah, because I enjoyed the first Aquaman fine. It bloated, uh, though it may be. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I'll just have to watch this one on Max at some point if I get around mm. to it. Uh, yeah, cause I don't think I'll venture out to see in theaters. It just, uh, you know, there's so much stuff out right now they want to catch up on and, uh, it doesn't seem like a top priority for me. Definitely not. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I accidentally skipped chicken run Dawn of the nugget, but how well we're short on time. Uh, yeah, I, I really wanted to see that. I haven't had a chance yet, unfortunately. All right. Uh, now this one, this is one, another one of my favorites of the year, uh, the iron claw. And, you know, I've been one of the defenders, you know, some people have been like "Ah, Iron Claw, uh, whatever, it's whatever. (laughs) Uh, This is the Zac Efron. uh, He plays uh, Kevin Von Erich. And uh, this one's directed by, of course, Sean Durkin, uh, the wonderful Sean Durkin, director of Martha, uh, Martha, Marcy, May Marlene, (laughs) and uh, also The Nest, which we talked about on this show uh, a few years back and uh, a movie that I really liked. And I really like this movie. I I think to me, this like kind of like cement Sean Durkin for me as a filmmaker who just really speaks to me on a emotional masculine level. Uh, this guy is just really killing it. I, I, I think that iron claw, it takes a subject matter. I knew nothing about, and I have no interest in, which is professional wrestling. And it somehow just like wiped me out emotionally and also like filled me with so much like heart and joy and just terrific performances. Not just Zach Efron, Jeremy Allen White is in this Harris Dickinson and, Probably his best performance I've seen from the guy. And Holt McLaney, I know your co-star on Mindhunter. And uh, Lily James, you know, given lines that aren't terrible for the first time in a while. I mean, it's great. So Iron Claw is just one of those movies. And I recommended it to a specific group of people. I, I recommended it to uh, uh, Parth, actually who of course has been on the show uh, to talk killers of flower moon and, or no uh, Oppenheimer, excuse me. And uh, you know, he, he loved it as well. And yeah, it's just that kind of movie. Now, no, will you're more of the professional wrestler, you know, fan. And so, and I, I don't know what to, uh, you're a big fan, you know, all the stats. Uh, I mean, I, I have a lot of friends who are professional uh, wrestling mm, fans mm. and uh, I saw this movie with quite a few of them. Uh, yeah. Good movie. I got to see in Dolby. Uh, I, I thought, you know, it was, it was uh, a nice way to kind of tell a Greek tragedy in Americana form. Yeah. Uh, obviously, a lot of the facts kind of got uh, changed around. Like, there's a lot of things that, like, uh, including like a whole brother who also died tragically. That yeah, was there was another the brother <laughs> they took out, which uh, I kind of understand because I'm like, wow, if you had to. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a film itself, I thought it was really strong. Um, Zachary, or, yeah, uh, Zach Efron, Efron, yes. Zac Efron uh, one of his best performances by far. Uh, Holt McKinley, uh, if that's how you pronounce his name, I thought he I think was amazing. McElhaney, I think McElhaney. I thought he was amazing. I think he's 
severely getting overlooked as far as his performance in this film. I thought he was terrific. He was great in uh, Wrath of Man. And, and yeah, people are just like, oh, he's great at acting. Like, we've known. Like, he's yeah. been doing great work for years. Uh, but I thought he really channeled a great sense of menace uh, in a mm. way that was theatrical, but also like grounded in a very, like, it, it just felt it's like very gentle menace. It's like yeah. recognizable. Uh, and I think the, some of the best stuff is in like the black and white cold open with him. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, good movie. Um, couple things at the end I, I i can't really say more specifically because it's very spoilery it felt a little rushed to me like I, some stuff towards the third act kind of felt congested in a way that i, I that left me underwhelmed a little I bit i kind of get that yeah but uh but good movie yeah i, I like it uh gave it a heart on letterbox uh probably will be in my top 30 for the end of the year great use of rush no one can deny it um Love it. Love it when a movie like gives rush its due and, and doesn't happen often enough. Uh, did you see migration? The uh, what was this? Was this illumination? No. But you know who wrote that movie? Uh, I, uh, mm, I don't know. I know Benjamin Renner directed it. Yeah. Uh, screenplay is. Uh, oh, Mike White. Yeah, that's cool. Fun, I, I'm fun curious uh, to see it because of that, but I have not seen the film. Well, I mean, his his writing credits range from what School of Rock to Emoji Movie, <laughs> yeah, so. Pitch Perfect Three um, and Chuck and Buck, but also uh, White Lotus, you know. So yeah, I love White Lotus. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen this film. Yeah, I haven't seen a migration. It, it animated. It's birds. Uh, Camille Nanjiani. I, I don't know. I I I didn't. I didn't. Migration. Chicken Run movies are going to the birds. Okay. Well. All right. Uh, All of us strangers. Loved all of a stranger. Oh yeah, Strangers. good movie. Yeah, yeah, good movie. Just uh, really great use of Paul Mescal. Great use of Andrew Scott. This is Andrew High, uh, the uh, or Hague High for how you say. Uh, I, I actually, actually was at the uh, the screening where I saw this, but yeah, no, you're all like, oh, woo, woo, woo. but uh, that was cool. I got to he he did a fun little Q and A after, and uh, no, Lean on Pete. I thought was a good movie as well. Great Steve Buscemi performance, and I thought Forty Five Years was depressing but definitely like a movie that was kind of worth you know watching and I, I understood why some people were like this movie's better than you know it's kind of getting a little bit overlooked whatever uh but yeah no claire foy and jamie bell also in this and just i, I think it's like a fun fun quirky little premise like it's a weird movie and it doesn't go in all the directions you think it's going to and like seeing andrew scott and like wearing pajamas at one point i mean i'm just watching this and i'm like i'm in somebody's head right now you know what i mean and I, and I also just really appreciate, I think Paul Meskel, who just, Meskel, Mescal, whatever it is, he, to me, he's a younger actor. We've talked about him a few times. After Sun, I think, was just a monumental performance from him. And he's just going to keep on doing great stuff. And this is like another, yet another, like, okay, here's another great Paul Mescal performance. Who knew? I've uh, been following this guy since Normal People over the last three years. Normal People being the TV show based on the book. And yeah, I mean, this movie is just one of those really great movies that, yeah, it got some recognition. I think BAFTAs kind of took a look at it and, you know, but it, it hasn't been like a big awards movie or at least as big as we were, uh, some people were hoping. I was hoping it would do a little bit more, but uh, Searchlight Picture. So uh, I think Poor Things has kind of stolen a lot of the thunder, but uh, all of a strange, you see this? I actually don't remember. Yeah, saw I okay. saw this as screening, I think in November. Perfect, um, perfect. Yeah, Andrew High is a filmmaker I really like. I actually haven't seen uh, either 45 Years or uh, Lean on Pete. But uh, Did we not talk about Lean on Pete on the show? No. 
No, no, we did not. Or yeah. if you did, it wasn't with me, unfortunately. Or you, you saw it and I didn't get a chance to. I, I think I just to saw see. it and yeah, I think, uh, I think it got kind of lost in the shelf. I remember because I watched it during the SF Film Festival, like mm, 2018, I want to say. But uh, I love, uh, I think it's his first film, if not one of his first films, uh, Weekend, which is actually the first unrated film I ever saw in a movie theater, fun fact. Ooh, interesting. Uh, and I love uh, his show Looking, which is probably the one of the best uh, pieces of art about San Francisco I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised you haven't watched it. Uh, I yeah, also love, yeah, I haven't seen that. Yeah, uh, I also the love OA. The I know he's he's known for too, right? With uh, uh, what's his face from maybe. Uh, Richard Madden? I want to say maybe. Um, I think that's him. Uh, you mean the Brit Marling show? OA. Mm, I think so. Yeah. No, I'm not think I'm not talking about like the CW show. If that's where you're. No, the Netflix show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Brit. You're talking about one. the same thing. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't know Richard Madding was in it. Um, I think so. I. Mm, it's been a while. Anywho, uh, yeah, I, I've uh, taken a keen interest in his, uh, his work, even if I haven't seen all of it. I think this is my least favorite of his. I like the movie. I think it's good. Uh, I, I can kind of tell that it, the source material is maybe not up to the, the caliber of the uh, talent involved. Jason uh, I, Isaacs. Sorry, not Richard Madden. Jason, my bad, okay. my okay. bad. I did it again. Um, I, I think the family. The, the, it's another thing where it's like two movies are happening here, and I think the uh, the family stuff. Is, and I expect to be a minority on this, but I think the family stuff is way more compelling uh, than the romance stuff because it's just very obvious to me where the romance is going to go, and I just kind of kept waiting for it to get there. Uh, but yeah, the family stuff is is really good. There's some really great performances from uh, um, Andrew Scott, uh, Jamie Bell, and. Uh, Claire Foy, I believe. Yeah. Claire, Claire Foy. Foy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is based um, on a book too. And, and I forgot to mention one of the coolest things about it is what the childhood home of the main character is actually Andrew High's childhood oh, is home. That, yeah. I, I remember hearing that. Yeah. That's cool. It's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's a good movie. It, it looks gorgeous. I love the way that it uses uh, mirrors and reflections uh, throughout. I think it's uh, uh, a good, uh, well, not a good time at the movies, but it's, it's a good weeper if uh, you're looking to have a good cry uh <laughs> but yeah I, I wish i i walked out of this loving it i i walked out of it being uh a fan positive i liked it i i can't say i was over the moon for it there was um a jessica chastain and peter sarsgaard movie called uh memory that also released in december uh, and this one i think sarsgaard won best actor uh at, for, for this one in venice mm. and i've Really haven't heard much about it. This is Michael Franco, um, mm-hmm. who directed after Lucia and Sundown, a few other things. And yep, New Order. Yeah. Did you Did you see Memory? I I didn't see it. No, I was thinking about seeing it tomorrow, but I haven't. I've seen it on a few lists, uh, end of the year list, but I have uh, not had a chance to check it out. Yeah, it's one of those squeakers, isn't it? Uh, also, of course, we we can't forget about Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon Part One: A Child of Fire. Mm. Great title. Um, bring Dawn of Justice put, put to shame. Uh, yeah, I didn't see this one. I heard that it's not even fun to like watch in a to like be mean with mm. to it, like or laugh or anything. It's just a bit like I mean, why is this happening? Kind of movie. Which oh, okay, sure. I don't know. I don't have I mean, to say. Of all it. his movies, it seems the most John Negroni esque. But I would, I'm, really? I'm of the mind that yeah, just the vibe mean? of it. Um, but I'm just waiting for the director's cut. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, if we had more time, I'd ask you what 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 the vibe of it, what, what my vibes are. But you know, that's uh, that's gonna take too long, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, leave the world behind. Did we talk about that one? 
Uh, I don't have that on my list. Um, the oh, next one I was going to get to was Society of the Snow. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, pretty good. I uh, I didn't watch it because Leave the World Behind. By the way, yeah, I see it. It's because it's a November one, and uh, yeah, I just you know, uh, you want to talk about that one? That's uh, uh, the robot guy, right? Uh, uh Mr. Robot, the guy yeah, who not, made not, Mr. Robot, uh, not iRobot, which is uh, what's his face, yeah, yeah. Uh, Alex uh, Prios. <laughs> You're talking uh, about uh, Sam Sam. Uh, Sam I, I can never say his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, also based on a book. Um, it's with Ethan Hawke and Julia Roberts and Maharsha Ali. I heard it's uh, terrible. Um, well, actually, no. The first time I heard about this movie, somebody told me they had watched it on Netflix and they're like, I loved it. And then somebody else came up to me and was just like, that movie she was talking about is God awful. And I was like, what? Oh, okay. Hmm. It's, uh, it's a lot of buildup. It's a lot of dread uh, for a payoff that I don't think is especially great. Uh, it feels like a lesser version of a good film that you didn't like called knock at the cabin uh <laughs> it kind of feels like is that this year yes wow. it feels like you know knock at the cabin for atheists i guess uh not to say that they deserve anything better or worse uh in terms of films but um but yeah it, it's fine it, it it's it's a good showcase for sam measle as a director it also shows that uh that man's kind of up his own ass uh <laughs> in many ways and i i think this movie would have been better suited if it was tightened up uh you know has that netflix bloat to it uh but uh yeah it's all right uh and i would more or less say the same thing about society of snow uh it's based on a true story it's the story of a life uh it's about uh the plane that crashed uh in the mountains in the 70s i, I want to say it's like in chile just uh, chile chile yeah, yeah the heart of the andes so like yeah a yeah very very difficult uh, environment this is the 1970s yeah I thought from a technical standpoint, it was well done. The plane crash scene is uh, pretty harrowing. Emotionally, I didn't really feel all that connected to it. Um, like I thought it was a good tech reel. I thought it showed the you know the horrors of having to deal with such extreme client uh, climates and and uh, the ordeal that these people went through. But I just never really felt fully gripped by it. I, I was always just like, yeah, this is solid. Like it's well done. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I can't say I had a deep response to it. Right, we just have a couple more things to get to. Uh, we're a bit over time, but that's all right. We're about done here. Uh, there's the boys in the boat, um, which I am curious about because I'm like, boys in a boat? <laughs> we'll see about that. Uh, uh, George Clooney uh, yeah. directed movie, right? Yep. And, very, uh, uh, very formulaic. Uh, very much what you see is what you get. Uh, okay. An old fashioned Rowan movie. Uh, Hitler gets a cameo. Um, As he does. Yeah, as he does. Uh, nothing too special. Your grandma will love it. Uh, it's a movie that's made to be seen at like a Saturday matinee with the retirees. Mm. Uh, it, it's just, I don't know, nothing very compelling and interesting about it, unfortunately. They, the retirees deserve better. Uh, um, yeah, what else you got? <laughs> well, I don't know if I can top boys in a boat, but I'll try. Uh, the Color Purple. Um, this one, I I didn't have the highest hopes for just because I was like, Okay, yeah. taking this source material, which, you know, based on a book and Spielberg did the movie, of course, it, it's a story that people have known for a long time. A lot, a lot of people know about this one. There was a Broadway musical that opened in the 2000s. I never saw it, but I just always thought the idea of that, I was just like, I'm not interested because do you know what happens in that movie? Like, it's just kind of weird to me to like musicalify 
like that kind of story because, okay, but look, I'm probably just sort of like speaking from a place of like, you know, maybe there's something that this movie does or this story, like that maybe there's something, there's something the musical does that kind of transcends that sort of thing. And there's something deeper to it. Uh, we have Taraji P. Henson here. We have Coleman Domingo, Corey Hawkins, Halle Berry, uh, Hal, Hal Berry, the one who, the young, you know, actor who played the little mermaid earlier this year. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think I said Danielle Brooks um, and her. Uh, among others, and then oh, sorry, I, I can't, I can't leave out. Um, uh, there's her? somebody I'm forgetting. Her, her, uh, yeah, Fantasia Barino. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I was trying to do a fun little. Uh, I know. Rest. I, I caught yeah. on. Yeah. I, I was there with you. Uh, this is Blitz Bazawule, uh, who has directed a couple of things I haven't seen: uh, Black King and The Burial of Kojo. Um, you mean I, uh, Black is King, the Beyonce thing? Black is King. Excuse me. Okay. Um, which I, I have actually, you know what? I did see black is King. I forgot. I didn't see, I don't think I saw the entire thing, but I saw like, I want to say like two thirds of it. Um, that's another thing we skipped was the Renaissance thing from Beyonce, but. Oh yeah. yeah. I, d- I didn't get to see it. I wanted to, but tickets were $30 without, uh, uh, you couldn't use a list. So I was like, forget that noise. Mm. Um, I gotta say, I don't get it. I, I, I just. The tagline for this is a bold new take on the beloved classic. And I'm like, there's just something just deeply unsettling to me about this movie of like what we're talking about subject matter of like incest, sexual assault, domestic abuse. And it's like littered with like gospel musical numbers. And I'm like, what movie like because here's the thing. I mean, you're you're channeling like the music of joy and you know, I want songs. And so like, okay, I can understand that. But like the the tone of it is just so off. And I, I just, again, I don't get it. Like, I, I think some people are like, well, that's, you know, like there's a re- reclamation happening here. And I'm like, we're centering. And like, I, I, I don't know. I, to me, it's just as like misery that's being like belted. And, and it's, it's just, it's just not a movie that I, I was miserable during this movie. I, I just genuinely was like, I, to hate this like it's just it's making me not connect or sympathize with these characters it's making me wish the movie didn't exist so i don't have to like experience what's happening and i get that there's like an ignorance to that a bit of like a, but i don't know it's just like i think the original like the real source material like i don't know when you take this stuff seriously it, it's just i don't know it, it then is a story you can reckon with i it's hard for me to even like wrap my head around like what what this movie did uh and and how it just completely disconnected for me yeah, it's a weird film. Um, yeah, I, I was with you in as far as like, I, I don't really get why this is a musical. Like when it was announced, I was confused. When I was watching the film, I was even more confused. Uh, that's not to say I think the musical numbers are bad. I think generally they're pretty well done. I don't there think are a couple super... of foot tappers. I'll say it. Uh, I think like the songs are more memorable in this for me than Wonka, even though I, I prefer <laughs> no, Wonka as a film. You lost me I, there. <laughs> I, I don't really remember any of the songs in uh, Wonk Outside Pure Imagination, obviously. Um, but I, I remember, yeah, I, I think, you know, I mean, Daniel Brooks, is, as uh, it's been said before, she's fantastic. Uh, Coleman Domingo is, is always good. Uh, and um, the lead actress, uh, Fantasia Barino. Barino. Uh, I thought she was good as well. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just it's fine i guess like it, it just it kind of has to get over the the weirdness of the concept i i oh taraji p henson was the other before i think she was really good i think she 
her coming into the film really, I think, helps. I think I was really starting to come out of it. And then like when she got into the film, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of with this again. Like there's, uh, you know, she, she brings like the right sort of spontaneity and fun without it being tonally or emotionally jarring uh, to the rest of the film, uh, or at least not as much. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just, yeah, it, 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 it often kind of feels like, I feel like the thing that's kind of holding this back is the fact that the musical went, doesn't need to be um it just kind of not only that but like the musical numbers don't really uh add to the film as much as like it it just kind of feels like you said disjointed and uh um yeah uh unclear as the intention of it goes but i didn't have a bad time watching it but yeah it's it's the type of film that i think like three or four years now i'm gonna have to remind myself that i saw this wow uh and then we can finish with our last one here ferrari Ferrari is a very difficult for movie for me to talk about because mm, I've gone this, on a journey with it. Okay. It, it's a movie that like I started it at one point and <laughs> this is Michael Mann. Of course, uh, Adam driver plays Enzo Ferrari. This is the infamous, like what if we made an Italian movie, but no one involved is Italian. Sure. Um, Penelope Cruz plays the wife. Uh, Shailene Woodley plays his like mistress. And, we we genuinely genuinely it's like american and british and and other actors just like trying to be italian and the first time i watched this i got about like 20 minutes in uh kind of like aquaman and i was just like i'll do this later i i was not connecting with it i wasn't vibing with it and at a certain point i was like i feel like i have to be in a different headspace for this movie so i i revisited it um a few weeks ago and i'm watching it and i'm like I have so many problems with this movie, but for some reason it's just kind of sucked me in. And part of it is because watching those like classic Ferrari cars, just seeing them exist and watching them do their thing and like on film, I mean, that aspect of it certainly hooked me. But also I, I'll be a little bit honest, like the family drama stuff is really annoying and it it holds the movie back. Whenever we're doing the Ferrari stuff and it's just like the, you know, like just Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz clashing, you know, and like really convincing makeup, by the way. I mean, I, I fully bought that, you know, Adam Driver was not Adam Driver. He was Enzo Ferrari. Weirdly sort of like, is he Italian guy? Uh, but, but yeah, ultimately, I I think I think I just low key like the more I thought about this movie after seeing it, the more I'm just like, man, I had a good time with that movie. Like, I don't know what it is. I'm just kind of like, ah, that was kind of cool. I, I might watch that again someday. Like. No one's more surprised than me, Will Ashton, that I came out of Ferrari being like, you know what? Fun companion piece to Ford versus Ferrari. Who would have thought? Uh, yeah, good movie. Uh, I, I I didn't have the journey that you went on with it. I, I saw it at Dolby screening and I was like, hey, it was a good movie. You were decisive. Uh, you were like, yeah, I don't yeah. need all that, that hullabaloo that John's going through. Come on. Which is interesting because like, I obviously love Michael Mann, but I feel like I haven't really been the bag for like his last two or so films what was the last one black hat black hat was I, I need to revisit i know it's kind of gotten an online uh like revival the way a lot of michael mann movies tend to do um, yeah i mean and then like public enemies i thought was like pretty good uh i feel like there was one in between there that i'm, I'm blanking on at the moment miami vice was right before that i mean this is miami years vice ago though. That, yeah. i mean it's been it's been eight years since black hat and you know yeah, but i mean like i love love collateral another driving film. Uh, and uh, I feel like, I, I don't know if I've had the quite the same high 
uh, with any of Michael Mann's films since then. But I think this one is a really solid. It, it's not autobiographical, but it feels like a good companion piece to uh, something like The Boy and the Heron, where it feels maybe as close as autobiographical as the artist will allow. Like there, it, it explores. It is adapted from a book, uh, right. Enzo Ferrari, The Man in the Machine. But I do feel like Michael Mann sees at least some version of himself in this character, someone who's trying to push technology beyond uh, the realms at the point where it might sacrifice the, his well-being, the well-being of others, and uh, his own personal uh, and professional integrity. And he sees uh, himself as a young Adam driver, sure. but in an old man's body. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's uh, super crisp and well made and entertaining uh i i think uh you know it's certainly compared to like other oscar biopics i feel like it's a lot sharper and uh invigorated i think the the, the weakest thing about it and unfortunately it's a pretty big thing is chainling woodley is just unfortunately not very good in this no uh, bless her heart at all uh bless her heart uh she sometimes tries to do an italian accent sometimes she doesn't do the <sighs> italian accent it doesn't really work either way um you know, she just is miscast. Uh, and I, I, I just kept thinking about like uh, the two Italian actresses in White Lotus. Like if it was her instead of Shane Lee Woodley, this movie would have probably been like even better than it already is. It, uh, it might have gotten an Oscar nom. It didn't get any. Um, um, no, it didn't get one for sound. Did it? Oh, I might have missed that. Uh, I don't think it got any like big awards. For but sure. Yeah, I know uh, Penelope Cruz got snubbed. Some people yeah. were thinking she might get nominated, but no. Well, she's awesome in this movie. Yeah, she's really good. She's the heart of the film. Yeah, she is uh, quite good. I, I think she's kind of the reason the movie works, personally, like toward the third act. Yeah. Because that third act, by the way, uh, there's a moment in it where I'm just like, what? And it's mm. just like, what Michael Mann captures on screen there, I'm just like, man, if he remade Heat with that mm. attitude, uh-oh. Well, he is supposed to be making Heat too pretty soon. Um, nice Yeah, I up. mean- uh, I, I do, I do think it's a little weird that, um, driver, uh, like people hearken on the Italian thing, but I think for me, it's more like he's kind of in the same boat as Jennifer Lawrence a few years ago where he's like playing characters like this and white noise that are like supposed to be like two decades older than him. I think I agree with you that it's a little bit more, uh, believable in here than it was in white noise, but, um, but yeah, it's still kind of a weird trend, but nevertheless, uh, I thought he did a really nice job. I think he, uh, feels very keyed in and i think uh he has a gravelly sort of uh mix of like uh theatricality and emotionality and and underlying vulnerability that uh uh michael mann could really tap into in a great way uh yeah I, it's been probably about a month or so since i've seen it but yeah i really enjoyed this i think it's in a similar boat for me with uh iron claw where i'm uh i probably would put in my top 30 for the year maybe not top 10 or 20 but i, I really had a good time with this one I have big news, Will Ashton. The rare thing has happened. You were wrong, and I was right. Ferrari got no Oscar noms, not even for sound. Hmm, I thought it was supposed to get sound, but yeah, I guess maybe I. No, you know, I I haven't really. I I, I looked at the nominations this morning, uh, and I wrote down the films I still need to see, but uh, I didn't really process a lot of them. Well, that'll do it, though, for this week's episode of Cinemaholics. Bit of a long one, but uh, we managed to get through our list uh, slowly but surely. And uh, a lot of lot of great movies we talked about. Not as many stinkers as I was a little worried about. But uh, yeah, that's what you're going to do, isn't it? Uh, I know the listeners are already going to be writing in. What about Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Christmas Cabin Fever? But, you know, we're going to be doing, of course, a two-part, you know, review of that movie. So why would we bring it up here? Um, 
But anyway, uh, we do have a lot of stuff coming up. I mean, we still have to do, we have poor things, of course. Mm-hmm. You're going to be seeing that movie. Uh, we still have our best movies of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a little bit later, we'll do our Oscars. And I, I haven't, you know, I, I need to double check the the schedule, the release schedule to see if there are any other kind of like new movies that. Uh, uh, I mean, do we want to talk about Mean Girls 2024? I've seen it. So I saw a clip of the movie. It, it was shared to me and it's this, it's the part where, you know, she gets asked what day it is, October 3rd. Yep. And then she looks up and then she starts singing. Yep. And I was just like, no, thanks. Hmm. I never want to see that. I would like to pretend that didn't happen and it doesn't exist. And I want to be ignorant forever. Hmm. I heard no, the beekeeper is pretty fun. Beekeeper, I'm going to skip too. I, I just, I'm sorry, Will. I'm being a little bit of a stinker here, but yeah, I'm not really seeing. I know I got, I got Argyle on my list of things to watch coming up, and mm, I'm kind of curious that about that one. And yeah. I know you're not looking forward to it, but I know, like, and then Driveaway Dolls, I might be able to see soon. Um, so oh, yeah, we got some stuff, but oh, we yeah. gotta do, we gotta do Driveaway Dolls. I'm Are seeing gonna, that on Monday. Yeah, yeah, you're biased though. Uh, but also, are you going to see any of the Pixar re-releases that they're doing in theaters, like Soul and Turning Red and, and all that stuff? I wanted to. I mean, I could maybe see Turning or maybe see Soul tomorrow in theaters, but I think that's like the last time I could do it. I, I thought I thought I would have more time to do it, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's kind of coming up on it. The way it was meant to be seen, right? Um, but okay, that'll really do it for this week's episode of Cinema Hawks. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back soon from the internet, California. I'm John Agroni, and from the internet, Pennsylvania. I'm Lashin. See you next time. Bye, everybody.